morning, everyone. Thank you, Bradley worship team, for leading us into worship. And uh, uh, it's been good. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we got one person that thinks that. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at a familiar passage that many of us have heard of before or may uh, have did some study in or whatnot, but it's the woman at the well. The woman at the well. I am honored to be in this pulpit, to be preaching uh, God's word to you. It's funny, um, uh, Chuck said in the first service that we did rock, paper, scissors, and I lost, so I have to, you know. But um, I'm grateful uh, to God for allowing me to uh, fill the pulpit today. Our pastor wanted me to let you all know that they are doing very well. They're, they're doing great. Uh, pastor said he feels better than he had did, you know, prior to COVID, you know, and so forth. So praise God for that. And he want us, wanted us also to tell you that, um, one, the staff and I tell you that um, your prayers have blessed in both and just continue to be praying for him. And he's eager to he'll be here next Sunday to step in the pulpit to present God's word. And, uh, and I think I saw even, he said that he got, you know, some messages even more, you know, for, from being on COVID, you know, so it's all good. We thank God uh, for that. And we thank God that he will be with us uh, next Sunday. John chapter four, if you will, please stand with me if you're physically able to do so. Uh, what I want to do is I want to look at two particular verses, uh, actually just read two particular verses, but we're going to look at the entire uh, context of, uh, of this particular passage here of the woman at the well. We're going to be going through uh, verses 1 through 30, but uh, for time's sake, we'll just do uh, read 13 and 14. This is the focal point, basically, of this particular passage, and it says this. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in, a, uh, become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Uh, today, my purpose of preaching this particular passage is for believers, listen to me now, for believers to understand the importance and, and the significance of the mission God himself has called us to. We've been called to a mission. We've been commanded. But also, the purpose for preaching this particular passage is for unbelievers to see the magnitude of Christ's love for you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so very much for your word. We ask that you would touch our hearts, Lord God, enlighten us and help us, Father God, uh, to understand and grasp your word, Father. And not only that, but to apply it to our own lives. Father, I pray that you would challenge us, Lord God. Uh, we thank you. As always, use me as a vessel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, in the previous chapter, if you've read uh, the Gospel of John in any length or whatever it may be, the previous chapter, Jesus was engaged in a conversation at night with a man by the name of Nicodemus. Now, Nicodemus was a religious, a devout religious Jew. In fact, he was a Pharisee. Uh, they did the oral and traditions, uh, they believed in the oral and traditional law and so forth. So they were traditionalists in that sense. 
Um, and a lot of times Jesus had to rebuke them because they held tradition higher than they did scripture. So he was a Pharisee. He was educated, if you will, uh, considered in a sense one of the elite socially. Then we get into chapter four and we arrive in chapter four with a conversation with an uneducated, socially inept Samaritan woman who, who is said to have had five husbands. And the one that she's with now is not even her own. And so we see this contrast, this contrast between the two individuals, Nicodemus and this Samaritan woman. It's interesting that she is just called the Samaritan woman and Nicodemus is called by name. But we see this contrast, the Samaritan woman is considered lost in her rebellion while Nicodemus is seen as lost in his religion. Y'all following me? Lost in her rebellion while he is seen as lost in his religion. Therefore, understanding Jesus' ministry, there is no one beyond the need of grace. I'll say that again. There is no one beyond the need of grace. And there is no one beyond the reach of grace. Y'all following me, right? This is a beautiful story. I love this story. This story unfolds in three distinct uh, scenes, if you will. Number one, the encounter. Number one, the encounter. Verses one through eight. It reads this. It says, now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing uh, more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Everybody say Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria uh, called Sychar, near the field that Jacob, and, uh, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus wearied, uh, Jesus wearied as he was from his journey. He was tired, y'all, you know. He was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Give me a drink. And verse 8 says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. It's a problem. So get the problem. The Pharisees turned their attention to Jesus because they heard that he, uh, he, that he and his disciples, his boys and everything else, were making converts and baptizing more people than John. And Jesus was, was making a huge impact in that region, that area. And so Jesus, what he, do, what he does, he, he leaves. He leaves Judea and went north to Galilee. But in order to get there, in order to get where he's going, he can either go one way or the other way, right? The long way or the short way. Now, the long way uh, would be to cross the, the Jordan River to the east and travel northward uh, and, and then go back westward to, to Galilee. And it was a six-day journey. But if he wanted to travel the short way, all he had to do is just go north, and it would, he'd go straight through Samaria, and it'd be a three-day journey. Why is this a problem? Why is this a problem? You see, the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't get along. The Jews considered the Samaritans an unclean 
race, half-breeds, if you will. Some considered them even as dogs. Let's look at the Samaritans for a moment. You see, the hostility between both Jew and, uh, Jews and, and Samaritans went back centuries ago. After the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 B.C., this is back in the Old Testament, they deported most of the Jews and replaced them with foreigners who intermarried with the remaining Jews, hence Samaritans. This is a side note here. Uh, that was their way of assimilating people, if you will. Now, if you take the Babylonians, you know, they, the Babylonians uh, 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 evaded uh, Jerusalem in its, uh, uh, the, what, 586 B.C., I mean, A.D., uh, B.C., I'm sorry. And, um, and what they did was they would take, I would say, the cream of the crop, if you will. You know, Daniel, he was type of cream of the crop. But they would try to indoctrinate them and then place them back into their own culture, and that way it would infiltrate and so forth and so on. However, the Assyrians, they didn't do that. The Assyrians, they would take you and spread you all among the nations and water down your bloodline. That way it quenches one's zeal. And so one of the things that affected this new ethnic group was religion. It was religion. The Samaritans' religion became a mixture of uh, uh, the other nation's foreign gods with Judaism, if you will. And so they were basically syncretists. And so Jews viewed them, viewed the Samaritans not only as biological half-breeds, but religious half-breeds as well. They didn't like them. But the text says this. It says that Jesus had to pass through where? Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. This phrase had to shows that, listen to this, Jesus, the Jew, pursues the Samaritan. He pursues the Samaritan. It was necessary. He must. He had to. He was compelled to pass through Samaria. Notice the location of this woman. The location of this woman did not hinder Jesus' pursuit. He went, on her, he went on her side of the town, a people that was deemed unclean. Now listen, he was compelled by her need. He was compelled by her need. Not only did the location not hinder Jesus' pursuit, but her nationality, her culture, her ethnicity did not hinder him at all. Yes, the Samaritans looked different, yet they acted different. They, they was considered half-breeds, but Jesus was not repelled by the Samaritan woman's uh, nationality. He was compelled by her need. Are y'all with me? So Jesus arrives at Jacob's well. And the text says that he sat down. He sat down to rest because he was worn out from his journey. The stage was set. It was noon. Uh, many scholars believe it was noon. And he, uh, he was by himself and Jesus was in the right place at the right time for an encounter. Listen to the words of Dr. Tony Evans. I love how he said this. He said, Jesus prioritized meeting spiritual needs over facilitating, endorsing, and practicing ungodly social and racial divisions. 
Even though there were cultural lines, listen to this, even though there was cultural lines, religious lines, ethnic lines, and gender lines, Jesus was not afraid to cross those lines. So as Jesus is sitting there, a Samaritan woman is approaching Jacob's well to draw water. Now this is interesting because typically, typically women were more likely to come in groups they were more likely to come in groups to, to draw water, either in the early morning or the late afternoon when it was cooler. And some scholars note that they came to talk. Yeah. yeah. They were talk, socialize. Girl, you heard about that Samaritan woman? You heard about that girl? Yeah. I don't know who she was with, but you know. But they would typically go during the morning or, the, or in the afternoon. But notice this Samaritan woman, she came to the well alone. She came to the well alone, not only that, but in the heat of the day. Now, I do get hot. I do. I know I wear long sleeves sometimes in the summer, but still, I, I do get hot. And it gets hot around, what, 9 o'clock in the morning, right? But she came in the heat of the day by herself. And the text says that Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Jesus encounters this woman. He encounters this woman. He doesn't just sit there. She comes to the well and he's like this and just turns his head and not say anything. He encounters this woman. He just broke social custom. He just broke social custom. In their culture, it, it, it was socially unacceptable for a Jewish man at that, a rabbi, to speak to any woman in public. But Jesus initiates and encounters this Samaritan woman, this half-breed. But it doesn't stop there. Not only does he encounter this woman, there's an exchange that happens. Point two, the exchange. Let's look at verses 9 through 18. You see, this Samaritan woman, what she does is she responds in shock. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Now listen to this. For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The word for dealings in the Greek literally means the use of the same utensil, vessel, for food and drink. You got to realize Jesus got to this well. He ain't had no cup. He ain't have nothing. And he asked for a drink from her utensil. You see, most Jews would not eat with a Samaritan especially on their home turf for fear of becoming, listen to this, ritually unclean and defiled. But little did she know, whatever Jesus touched became clean. Those who touched lepers, the, the uh, disciples, other people who touched lepers became unclean. But when Jesus touches a leper, he brings healing. No pot, no leper, no corpse, not you, not me, no one. Whatever he touches, he heals, he sets free, he delivers, he cleanses. And why? It's because, because of his unquenchable, unchanging, unrelenting love for us. So, 
Jesus responds. Jesus makes this incredible statement. Jesus told this Samaritan woman, he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you what? Living water. It is interesting how we are seeing this theme of water and an idea of cleansing, if you will, so far throughout John's gospel. You see in, in John chapter two, you see uh, he turns water into wine. Now we, I don't have uh, enough time to go into this uh, or in detail with the wine in the sense of how when Jesus turned water into wine, but know this, that a lot of times it's symbolic to the blood of Christ and it's used as covenants in scripture as well. But he turns water into wine. Then he also, in chapter two, he also cleanses the temple. He cleanses the temple. Then in, in chapter three, he encounters a man by the name of Nicodemus, as I already mentioned, and, and tells him this. He says, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. This water theme. Even when you get into chapter five at the pool of Bethesda, it's this water theme. And right in there, we see Jesus says, living water. You see, Jesus just used, listen to this, this is good. Jesus just used a universal physical need, which is water. We all need water. I wish my sons would drink more water. My oldest, he, he, sitting right there, he hates water. He does, you know. He's like, he, you know that commercial that has the, the guy in the desert and he's like, ah, you know, and everything, and water, he's open like, no, and everything, and the guy comes in a helicopter, give him, what, a Milo or whatever or something to put it in water and make it taste good, I guess. That's my son. He likes that. <laughs> now, I like that too, but now my, my wife, she drinks water. She probably, like I said in the first service, I don't know how many now, but probably 13, 14, 15 cups before 6 o'clock in the morning. You know, I mean, she loves water. But he used this water, he used a physical need, which is water, listen to this, to address a universal spiritual need, which is salvation. Everybody needs salvation. He introduced her to a spiritual reality. And, he, and she says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus says to this Samaritan woman, I love it, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so, I, so, that, I may, so that I will not be thirsty or have, uh, have to come here to draw water. Verse 16 says, Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband. Verse 18 says, for you have had five husbands, 
and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. This Samaritan woman did not grasp this transition. She didn't grasp this transition. She was still stuck on the physical water, much like Nicodemus in chapter 3, wondering where and how, Je uh, how Jesus was going to get this water. But she didn't know who she was talking to. She didn't know she was talking to the creator. She didn't know she was talking to the sustainer, the deliverer, the provider, the almighty, the everlasting God, the alpha and the omega, the one who comes to seek and to save the lost, Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. That's who she was talking to. It's interesting. She, was, she encountered and began to exchange words with God himself. Let that sink in for a moment. She's in a conversation. She's engaging in a conversation with the Son of God. Did you get it? You see, Jesus didn't offer her a well. Jesus offered her a spring. He didn't offer her a well. He offered her a spring. Wells must be uh, dug. You exert energy. You exert time. With, uh, there's time with wells. They, they are man-made. And, and once you have finished them, the water that refreshes you must be drawn from the well. It's working to get water. But springs, on the other hand, do not require any work. They are free. As one preacher noted, he said that there is no drawing, only drinking. All who are thirsty, all you have to do is go to the spring and oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's free. It's a gift. It's a gift. The living water that Jesus gives is a gift. It's not something that you most, must earn or qualify for. Do enough works just to get into it. It's not that. It's not what you do. Jesus said the water he gives, it is a gift. Listen, in the eyes of most Jews, this time, this woman was not worthy of Jesus' time. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman, and she already had five husbands. But listen to this. Jesus took the time to initiate now, he took the time into the, uh, in the initiative to talk with this Samaritan woman who was in sin about living water. I love what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2. Paul is speaking to the Gentile church, and he is sta uh, stating some, some facts about their previous walk. And he said, you were dead in sin. You, you followed the system or the thought processes of this world. You lived out your passions of, of the flesh. You were by nature children of wrath. Then Paul adds this beautiful conjunction. He says, but, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that anyone may boast. It's a gift. Jesus encountered this woman and exchange some words with 
this woman. He engaged in conversation with her. And lastly, the experience. She experiences Christ. She experiences salvation. Says the woman said to him, verse 19, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23 says, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people. He is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Verse 25 says, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ when he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He revealed himself to this Samaritan woman. It's interesting. That phrase, I uh, who speak to you am he, is the same phrase in Exodus when it says, I am that I am. Jesus has this Samaritan woman now rethinking who he is. At first, she's like, you know, I perceive that you're a prophet. You know, because it's supposed to be a prophet that comes and that's greater than Moses and everything else, but it's just a prophet. But God just now, Jesus just now revealed who he was to this woman. As one scholar noted, this is a turning point in the dialogue, for she is now thinking on the spiritual plane, and the discussion turns to worship. Turns to worship. Jesus says three things about worship. He says three things about worship. Number one, location will not be, will not be important. Location will not be important. I'll explain that in a minute. Number two, the Messiah would come from the southern kingdom, not the north. Come from the southern kingdom. And number three, it's not where, but how you worship. It's not where, but how you worship. You see, the way John described Jesus in the gospel, he stated that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Some of your translations may have tabernacled among us. In the Gospel of Matthew, the writer quotes Isaiah 7, 14, claiming Jesus to be Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus even referred to his own body as the temple. At the crucifixion of Jesus, the curtain that shielded the inner room of, of the, the temple is torn. What the significance of this event means, that the author of Hebrews tells us that Jesus was the perfect sacrifice that accomplished what the temple in Jerusalem never could. 
Listen to this. Through Jesus' sacrifice and victory, he made a way for God, listen to this, to not only dwell with his people, but for God to dwell in his people. Paul says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? This is good. This is good stuff. Listen to this. When the split of Israel happened, the northern kingdom built a temple. And this is why they believe, like the Samaritans, they believe that they, uh, 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 they should worship him on Mount Gerizim, uh, well, the temple being there. And, but there was another temple. Another, the other temple was in Jerusalem. Now, people traveled far and wide to encounter, listen to this, to encounter God at the temple in Jerusalem. Jesus was saying the location of both of these temples will not be important. Why is that? Because he is the temple, the son of God that came and tabernacled among us. And not only that, after the resurrection, in the book of Acts, Jesus commands his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the paraclete, the Holy Spirit of God. And when he comes, he will dwell in his people. And when he does, every believer... Every believer, everyone who professes Christ as Lord and Savior, every follower of the risen Christ become temples of the Holy Spirit. And we are to bear his name and make his presence known to a lost and dying world. That's how they encounter and experience Christ. They experience, people who are lost experience, encounter and experience Christ by us going to them. We are mobile temples. You know, what they tried to do with the tabernacle and it was mobile. We are the temple. Y'all follow me, right? This Samaritan woman, she experienced the son of God. She experienced the Son of God. So much so, the text says that she left her water jar and went away into town. Now, this is interesting. She left her water jar. Now, she, she traveled and went to the well. It's hot. And she, obviously, she needs some water. But she left her water jar there. Went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I, I, I uh, ever did. Can this be the Christ? These Samaritans believed in Christ all because of the woman's testimony. All because of her testimony. Y'all following me? Let me bring this home for us. Why on earth is this important? Why is this important, number one, for us as believers? Let's just talk about believers real quick for a second, okay? Let me talk to you guys. As believers, why is this important for us to understand this narrative here? Listen to this. If Jesus would have never purposefully encountered this woman, exchanged in dialogue with this woman, she would have never experienced him in a profound way. Y'all following me? How do we, how, how do we do this? We know it's important, but how do we do this? Listen, as believers, by engaging in prayer, 
We have to engage in prayer. Now, what I mean by this is, is asking the Lord to interrupt your day with a divine appointment. Do we pray to God for divine appointments? How many divine appointments have we had? Now, that word may sound, fam- uh, sound familiar or it may sound like foreign, but I-, I learned this word divine appointment when I was in faith. It was an evangelistic type strategy and whatnot, but they would talk about these encounters that we would have that would, had to be nothing but God that orchestrated it. Divine appointments. How many of us have prayed for that this week? How many of us pray for our coworkers, our neighbors? Friends, number next is by engaging the culture, not only by praying, uh, engaging in prayer, but engaging the culture. I love, again, what Dr. Tony Evans said. He says, Jesus used a conversation about something physical to introduce this woman, uh, this Samaritan woman, to a spiritual reality, and he did not give up his cultural and ethnic identity to minister to someone of a different ethnicity and culture. His willingness to engage her socially by drinking, listen to this, water from her cup opened the door for him to reach her spiritually. We work, we have friends, we have neighbors. How many of those friends, neighbors, coworkers came into our own home? How many times have we, and I'm speaking of myself, this word is for me. If nothing else, this word is for me. How many times have we engaged Lastly, not only engaging in prayer or engaging the culture, but engaging with humility. Engaging with humility and love. Now, let me speak to those who are unbelievers for a moment. Uh, why this is important to those who do not have a relationship with Jesus. Why is it important for you to understand this narrative? I want you to listen to me very carefully. There is absolutely no one, no one beyond the reach of Christ. No one. This woman was considered the low of the lowest, all because of her gender her social status, her lifestyle, her ethnicity. But Jesus, listen to this, Jesus came. He bled and he died for all. He died for us all. Doesn't matter where you come from. Doesn't matter where you came from. Or how bad you have dug yourself into a hole. The fact is that God cares for you. You know, it's interesting. 2001, and many of you know my testimony, but in 2001, that's when God came to me. 
And I experienced him in a new way. Understand, I grew up in a Christian home. I knew the lingo. I did everything. But I had no relationship with the Lord. And my lifestyle showed that. But I experienced Christ in 2001. I experienced him. Took my mom and dad to never stop praying for me. And people along the way speaking life into me. I hit a point where I thought I couldn't go anywhere else. But God met me at my point of need. He met me at my point of need. I was tired of running. Are you tired of running? Are you thirsty? Surrender your life. Submit to Jesus and serve him only. Come. Come drink from the spring. It's a free gift. Pray with me. Father, Lord, we are so grateful that you, the creator of all things, knowing how wretched and bad we are, sent your son to die for us. Thank you. But the thing is that he not only died, but he rose on the third day with all power. And now I'm able to have life in you. You did that. You initiated that. And I am thankful. Even when I didn't want you previously, you still sought after me. Thank you, God. Father, we may have some in here today. Now, they, they may have been active in, 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 in witnessing and in, in engaging in, in, in conversation with people and things. That's fine. That's great. And I pray that they will continue to do so. But for those who have not, I challenge you, as well as this message has challenged me to engage. Open up your homes. And I understand that right now in this pandemic, things are a little crazy and things of that nature, but the gospel does not stop because of the pandemic. And I pray, Father, that we will be more engaging than ever. But for those who do not have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that they will seek you and come to you and drink from your spring the free gift that you have given to them, that they may experience you in a new way, in a profound way, that they will not only leave their water jug, but they will leave their old lifestyle and just run to you. Because you're worth it. We praise you. In Christ's name, amen.